have a message on my heart that's called Keeping God's Testimonies. It's been something of a burden for me these past two months um, that I've been, I've been letting, it's been leaking out of me in, in various forums whenever I go because I, there's something of an urgency on this message for me. Um, I wanted to first say thank you to Tyler for last week's message. He's not here today, but I thought it was really good and I thought it was outstanding, in fact. Um, but today I want to speak about a discipline that's helpful for all of us if we want lasting impact and legacy. <clears throat> Everything is not always going to be accomplished within the space of my lifetime. There are going to be some things on God's agenda that were started years ago that I never started, but are mine to, to help complete. And there are some things that God has called me to start that are gonna go on way beyond my lifetime. And if I don't understand that reality, and I want everything to be the perfect sitcom within the, the space of my life, my adult life, well, then I miss out on participating on some of the things that God has on his agenda that go beyond my life. And I can be a con contributing participant into some plans that have been going on for thousands of years. All right, does it make sense? And so if, I, if, I, if you can adjust, if you can take a new mind on some of these things, you'll discover that you can participate on some of the things that God has been doing and some of the things that God is calling you to participate in, you're gonna have to hand off to somebody else to carry on because it's gonna go longer than you are. Is that fair? Not everything God does is quick. Oftentimes it passes through more than one generation. And it seems like God has this expectation that you and I should respond to him as though we were there when he did something in years past. This is why people who meditate on the word of God tend to prosper because they imbibe what God did many, many years before they were born and they've grafted it into their own faith journey. God revealed himself in this way and they meditated on that enough so that it got in their spirit. Now they respond to God like that, as though they were one of the people who were standing there 3,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago. And God likes that. He kind of expects that. Something of an unrealistic expectation. Go, I wasn't there, but God says, but I gave you my word. It's right there for you to read. David is great at this. Psalm 103, Psalm 111, Psalm 145. David says, the Lord is compassionate and gracious. The compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love. He's quoting from Moses, which is the thing that God revealed to Moses. In at least three of his Psalms, David quotes the exact thing. David is saying, this is who God is. And God never showed that to David. He showed it to Moses. And, and David has meditated enough on that so it's become part of his life. And he's now declaring something 300 years later. The ancient of days has a different time management than we do because his plans are eternal. And he brings forth the generations, inviting them to participate in what he's doing. So at least part of what we need to be teaching our children along with social etiquette and skills and manners and mores, is that we need to be handing over the holy history of God in our family. What the Lord has revealed to us about who he is, uh, sorry, my phone is talking to me. What the Lord has revealed uh, about himself to us uh, is something that he wanted us to have, to treasure to use, 
and the things that I know to be true about God that have been worked out in the daily trenches of my life, I need to pass them down. See, if all my ancestors were rebels and atheists and haters of God, I would know nothing and I would have to start from the very beginning in a walk with God and I have to learn everything I can about God and I would have to press forward into his kingdom. But imagine if, if the generations before me were godly people and they all handed down to me and they told me their stories and they helped me learn the lessons that they had learned and I could start where they finished and I could move forward from there. And I think the challenge that we have in so many generations is that we don't understand this reality that this is going to take more than this generation. And so if the young people are not honoring towards the older people, they don't receive the inheritance the older people are trying to hand it to them. And if the older people are not honoring towards the young people, then, then, the, then they have no, uh, nothing that leads past their own generation. We have no heritage if we won't honor the next generation. And they have no inheritance if they won't honor their parents. So we have to learn this lesson because there is a handoff that is necessary. There is something of, a, I'm going to take everything God has shown me, everything I know to be true about him, all the lessons I've known and all the miracles I've seen, and I need to pass them on to my children. And if my children will learn everything I know, they can go further than I have. And that's, I think, the plan of God. So this morning, I want to investigate this issue and see if we can't hear together the, what the Word of God says and perhaps all together learn to do better in this idea of passing on what we know to our children. As has been usual throughout the sermon series, I want to be careful to try and thread the needle and find a balance between holding up what the scriptures say and not condemning us all. <laughs> Is that fair? Because yeah. I just want to say I don't know anybody in this room or in the that what, what who's done what I'm going to teach you this morning, which I believe to be true, well. Is that fair? Yeah. So I don't, I'm me included. But I do believe this to be true. And I believe there's a secret here. And I'd like to teach the secret. I'd like, to, I'd like us to see it. I'd like us to try it on and taste it and, and, and try to do it better than we've, it was done to us. Because yeah. I think there's something here. So learn and listen and strive, but accept no condemnation. So we all live in the light we have, and we do the best we can with what we know. But this morning, I want to try and shine a light on something else. And then, as Jesus said in John 13, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Is that fair? Okay. Come with me to Psalm 127, and verse 3 to 5. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. Children are a heritage from the Lord, a reward, a chance to go beyond the generation you're living in. Children are God's heritage to you. God gives you children for this idea that he wants the children that he gave you to take what he gave you further than you were able to take it. They are like arrows in the hand of a warrior. Arrows in the hand of a warrior are dangerous, dangerous weapons, right? An arrow in the hand of an artist is a paintbrush. An arrow in the hand of a warrior 
can strike fear into your enemies because you launch that arrow against targets. You launch them against enemies. They resist and push back darkness. And, and so the Bible says, your children are given to you as a heritage. In other words, God's intention is that what the, the strengths and the blessings and, the, and the, 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 the darkness you've managed to push back with your life, that needs to be handed over to your children and your children from that point on it need to be launched further into the darkness as weapons. Now, that your kids may have your eyes or your spouse's chin or your great uncle's frown, but where their hearts and their spirits are sponges waiting to be filled with the holy history of your family. They need to be equipped with what you know about God. We need to create an expectancy for what God does and who He is and how he rewards diligent seekers. They are a heritage so that they can take these victories on further, expanding and establishing them with the agreement of their own testimonies. Arrows launched within the battle against darkness. But if we don't know what we've learned, then they have to learn it all over again for themselves. But if we can tell them, they can start where we finish. Now, if you miss this understanding, this spiritual calling uh, to prepare them, all we're doing is preparing them for this life. Well, then live the American dream, which is, uh, quite frankly, the best dream I think that's available on earth. But it's pretty spectacularly thin when it's measured against eternal. Now, any society that's aspiring to endure must become a community of memory and of hope. We need stories. We need to tell them more than once. We build celebration and vacation days and pageantry around them so that we become who we are and th those stories become, that's us, that's who we are. It's not just something that some other generation did. That's why we have celebration days. That's why we have Memorial Day. That's why we remember and we do things on specific days because as a nation, we've chosen to remember specific things in our history. Our we-ness is determined by these memories that we choose to remember. And if we want a holy history, a history that remembers God's hand moving or His voice speaking to us, we must deliberately build it into our families. And that's the big role of parents in my estimation. Our government and our educational system does not work on this playing field. In fact, if an educator gets onto this playing field, they probably get fired. God's history in our family is vital information and it's more important than other subjects for your child's destiny. Did I ever tell you about the time God woke me and told me to shift continents? Did I ever tell you about that time God healed me? Did I ever tell you about the time God told me to do something that was not possible for me? Did I ever tell you? Did I ever tell you the story about what I was feeling when he said, I want you to do this thing and it wasn't possible for me? Did I tell you about the, how many people mocked me when I said, I'm gonna do this thing and there was no way for me to do it and in the last minute, God provided for me supernaturally and I stepped into it and God gave me the best. Did I tell you the story about when you were up all night and crying because you had earache and I laid hands on you and God healed you and you went to sleep instantly? Did I ever tell you that story? 
See, these are the stories that happen, and I, I pretty much guarantee if you took a little time, you could remember the stories of God in your family, but uh, one of the things that I've been remiss at is telling the stories to my daughter. She knows some of the stories. She doesn't know all of them. Do you remember the story of how God healed us or delivered us or provided for us or protected to us or spoke to us? So I want to talk about keeping the testimonies. Keep God's testimonies. And that's fundamentally what we're talking about. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 6. I want to take you through a bunch of scriptures that, that show you something about this. Deuteronomy 6, this is what the Lord said. You will diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God. His testimonies, his statutes, which he has commanded you. 99% of all the sermons I've ever heard are about how to keep the commandments of the Lord. I don't think I've ever heard a sermon on how to keep the testimonies of the Lord and how to keep the statutes of the Lord. God's statutes are those wise sayings, this is the way it works. If you're arrogant, God will resist you. But if you humble yourself, God will raise you up. That's a statute. You don't have to believe it. But if you keep the statutes, you'll find yourself being elevated because you constantly walk in humility. You constantly walk in arrogance. You'll constantly find God stands against you. Why should I keep the statutes? Because it's better when you do. I've heard a lot of sermons about keeping the commandments of God. I've heard very few sermons about how to keep the testimonies of God. He said, keep the commandments, keep the testimonies, and keep the statutes. Turn with me 1 Kings 2. Do your duty to the Lord your God to walk in His ways, to keep His statutes, His commandments, His ordinances, and His testimonies according to what is written in the law. 1 Chronicles 29. Give my son Solomon a loyal heart to keep your commandments and your testimonies and your statutes. Psalm 25, all the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth to such as keep his covenants and his testimonies. I want to talk to you a little bit about how to keep the testimonies of God. Because God will come into your life and he will establish testimonies among you. He'll bear his arm. He'll show himself. He'll step out of hiding. He'll reveal something to you and he wants you to have it. He wants you to own it and he wants you to meditate on it. He wants you to take it in deep. He wants you to imbibe it. And he wants you to function from that time onward as though that's who God is. Because if he reveals himself to you as the compassionate God, next time you're in trouble, you can't say God doesn't care because he's revealed himself to you as compassionate. And so now he expects you next time you're in trouble to lean into his compassion and say, I know who you are. Amen. Israel was commanded to obey a set of social rituals that reminded them of what God had done on their behalf. It was written into their Shabbat meal every week. It was their prayer. They prayed every morning and evening, the Shema. It was the annual festivals where they celebrated different aspects of God's power. They had holy places and memorial stones and monuments to their... They had, you, couldn't, you couldn't swing a cat in Israel without bumping into some place where they said, remember what God did here? God was extremely vested in this, his people remembering what he had done to them up till this time. Why? Because he wanted them to imbibe that and so that next time something happens, they go, no, 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 I know who my God is. Boom. 
And although the current generation was not there when he showed his arm, he wanted them to relate to him as though they had been. And that implied that their parents had to tell them what happened. He commanded them to keep his testimonies, to tell their children. Because if we don't tell our kids the testimonies, as Psalm 78, we're going to get to that a little later, says they, they won't set their hope in God, they will forget his works, and they won't his, keep his commandments. Why? Because, the, because there's no why. Why do I have to keep the commandments of God? Well, he's just a pedantic policeman up in the sky who just wants to take up on my whole life. No, no. This is the God who has a thousand years of history with our family who wants to lead you into what is beautiful and right for you. So you have to keep, he's going to tell you, do this. Why should I do that? Because it's for your good. Because I've got a thousand stories. So if we don't keep the testimonies well, there are some profound impacts that happen that are not great for our lives. Come with me to Joshua 4. This is Israel coming into the, into the promised land. They're walking up to a river, the Jordan, which is usually about 100 feet across, but in this is flood stage, it's almost a mile wide, and it's in flood. It's not possible. And they walk up to the Jordan because God said, I'm going to take you into the promised land. And the only way you could get into the promised land was by faith. It was not going to be a natural journey. It had to be the steps of faith. So God said, I want the priests take the ark and I want you to walk at the river. And I, the priest in the front is walking going, guys, the river's not going down. Because God said, when his foot touches the river, the river will subside. And he's going, guys, the river's still in flood, still in flood. He touches it. The river stops. And a nation walks across almost a mile worth of where the river was in flood. They watched it with their own eyes and they walked across and they crossed the Jordan. And he said, all right, I want you to pick up 12 stones. Who are the 12 biggest guys in each tribe? All right, I want you to pick up a stone. Now, can I just talk about these stones? I don't think they picked up a little river rock. Because, because what self-respecting man wants, if you're told to pick up a rock, is going to pick up a little one. You're going to pick up... You're going to pick up something that's worth, right? So these 12 guys stagger across and they load these stones and they put them at Gilgal. They set up this pile of rocks. And the, the reason they put up that pile of rocks is because Joshua says, when your kids say, what is that pile of rocks for you? Stand, come stand here. You see here, God led us across this river on dry ground. Verse 6. Each of you is to take a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of Israel and you're to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? You tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord when it crossed the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are the memorial to the people of Israel forever. Stones of remembrance to trigger the memory of God's faithfulness. In the past, to reflect on them right now and to stir trust in him for our future. Now, David is a great example of this. David's a great example of keeping the testimonies. Because this is what he says. I, I'm just, there's more, but I'm just giving you two. Psalm 143, Psalm 145, both Psalms of David. He said, I remember the days of long ago. I meditate on all your works 
and consider what your hands have done. Stop. When last did you take something God did for you and meditate on it? Michelle and I started doing this a couple of months back. We remembered some of the miracles God has done for us this, just this year. And we sat over, over meals and we would just sit and think, just meditate a little on, on that thing that the Lord did. And we just thought about it. What does that mean? Who does this tell us who God is? What does it say to us? Because the miracle is a beautiful thing, but the nutrient, the, the, the surrounding revelation around the miracle is what God actually wants to give us. Psalm 145. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. David was careful and diligent to meditate on what God had done, not just in his generation, but in previous generations. David said, God did this, and that's still who he is. He is eternal. And that's how God is. He does these kinds of things. So when I hit that kind of situation, I go, this is what I can expect from God. So David comes to bring cheese to his brothers and the whole army is running away from a guy in the valley who's shouting at them. And he goes, what's going on? You go, this guy, this guy is challenging us to a duel. Just him. Yeah. So I'll go slap him. And Saul hears about it and he calls him. And Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man. He's been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock. And I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. And then it turned on me. I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Like, like people are wont to do. <laughs> Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. And the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Then he took his staff in his hand and he chose five smooth stones from the stream and he put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag along with his string. What did David do? He walked out, he said, I got this. And he walked into the middle of the stream because there was no river nearby. And in the middle of the stream, he picked up five stones. What's he doing? Same thing Joshua did with the 12 stones. He walked into the middle of the stream and he picked up some stones from the middle of the stream. Because God... I remember when you killed that lion. I remember when you had me chase off that thing. I remember when I killed that bear. I remember when those men came and we chased them off. David's remembering the testimonies. Puts the stones in his bag. This guy's going to be like these stones. These stones that were once hidden, now exposed to me through the working of God's power. Nobody goes after a bear without a gun. Nobody goes after a bear with a staff in his hand. David did. I remember we killed the bear. I remember we killed that lion. It's a big lion. You saved me from the lion, Lord. You're the God who saves. 
You're the God who destroys unbreakable odds. You're the God who keeps me safe because you promised me. This is who you are. So this this Philistine is going to be like that because this is who my God is. See, so some, sometimes if we don't keep the testimonies, we have no courage in the moment. But everything that has been unearthed in the demonstration of God's power on your life, that you need to pick up and keep with you. Am I preaching to anyone yet? So let's go to Psalm 78 because there's a warning from Psalms which I think is important for us. Hear my people, my teaching, and listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I'll utter hidden things, things from of old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power, and the wonders that he has done. He says, things our ancestors told us, we're not going to hide from the next generation. My great-grandfather told me stories. I'm going to tell the next generation who never met him. He decreed statutes for Jacob and he established the law in Israel which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children so that the next generation, even the children yet to be born, And they, in turn, would tell their children. Then, verse 7 is important, they would put their trust in God. If you keep the testimony, they would not forget his deeds and would keep his commandments. If we learn to tell our kids the testimonies and if we can meditate on them, if we can draw nutrient out of them and we can give our kids, our kids go, this is who God is. He is a God who saves. He is a God who will command you to go do something that's not possible for you. But if you'll dare to step out, he'll meet you in the way. Because that idea is no longer, I, I, I no longer have the option of not believing that to be true because God has revealed that God to me so many times. So many times, the Lord has said, I want you to do this. I go, Lord, that's not financially possible for me. Start a radio station. I don't have the money. And when I finished telling the church, this is what the Lord has told me to do, a guy walked up and gave me $78,000 in a check. He said, I've been waiting for this. Here you go. Started the first studio on that $78,000 and then built a radio station, which was still the biggest of its kind in South Africa, and started a second one for the Zulu speakers. And, and we didn't have any money until you take a step and God says, I like this son. Now I've got stories like that. There's too many to, to recount in this time, but I've got stories. It is no longer legal for me to think about the possibility is not what holds me back. The question is not, do I have the money? The question is, what are you saying? I love accountants. I really do. But what we do is not dependent on the accountant. The accountant's going to say, we don't have the money. I go, you're absolutely right. But I can no longer think in a certain way because God has revealed himself to be the God who says, no, I didn't want you to pay for it. I'll pay for it. 
I got this, son. Let's, let's go to lunch. Oh, I don't have any money, Dad. I wasn't asking you to pay, son. I just want you to come along. But do you have enough money, Dad? I got this, son. Come to lunch. They didn't put their trust in God. Listen to this, Psalm 78, 19. They spoke against God. They spoke against God, saying, can he, can God prepare a table in the wilderness? Yeah, when he struck the rock, water came up, but, but can he really feed us as well? Can he give us bread also? Can he provide meat for his people? And then the Lord heard them and he was furious. Why was he furious? He's like, well, we're going to die. We've got no water. And he goes, whack, and water comes out of a rock. And they watch that, and they go, yeah, that wasn't bad, actually. <laughs> but we're going to die. There's no food. He goes, I just provided a testimony right in front of your eyes. How can you, in the face of the testimony, turn around and go, God wants to kill us? His anger came up against Israel because they did not believe in God or trust in his salvation. God got angry because they didn't believe. People go, oh, you ask too much. God is affronted. I cannot find one scripture in the Bible where God is affronted when you ask too much, but I can find many like this one where you don't believe enough. You ask too small. We were 65 people and we were praying, Lord, send us a building. And the Lord, I remember, I remember it vividly because it was a rebuke to me. Three prophecies in the same meeting. The Lord says, I can't answer your prayers because you're asking too small. Because I was looking at a 10,000 square foot property up here to lease and the Lord had the 40,000 foot property for us to buy. Because I can't answer. Lift your vision a little, son. Pray a little bigger. They forgot his deeds. Psalm 78, one. They provoked him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. Yes, again and again, they tempted God and they limited the Holy One of Israel. Can I just hit the pause button? For those of you who believe in the sovereignty of God above everything else, I believe God is absolutely sovereign, but I believe God in his sovereignty chooses to partner with human beings. And the Bible says that Israel limited the Holy One. They limited the Holy One of Israel for they did not remember his power. <laughs> Psalm 78, 10, they, they forgot his commands. They did not keep the covenant of God. They refused to walk in his law, forgot his work, his works and the wonders that he had shown them. Keeping the testimonies is an important part of what we need to do. This is why we have a testimony every service. Go, well, why is that? Why do we do this? Because God is working among us. We said the other day, how many people's backs? About 30 people in the church said, yeah, my back got healed. Now, you may not think that's a big deal until your back is hurting. You go, praise God, I got healed. Right? Praise God. So God is moving all the time. There are healings going on. There's supernatural provision. This testimony this morning, how many testimonies were built into that thing? Praise God. God's doing this all the time. And it's easy for us to forget. 
so that the next time there's a pressure, next time we have to believe, we go, ah. Because if we're not careful, the dust of this world, the worldliness and the unbelief of this world settles down. And if you don't wash it off with the water of the word or a power of a testimony sometime soon, it settles and it forms a hard shell around your heart so that try and steal the word of God from you. We've got to be telling the testimonies. Well, I don't want to brag. I want to brag on God all the time. I'm not saying it's about you or me or any of us. This is about Jesus showing himself out. I was, watching, I, got say, I was watching a video this week of, a, of a Randy Clark, and he was praying for healing, and this woman got up, and she gave a testimony. She's just weeping. She said, my, my, I don't know whether it's a boy or a girl, my two-year-old's got esophageal cancer and had stopped being able to swallow. And he's at home with, my, with her sister, and she came to the meeting saying, God, I need you. And somebody had a word of knowledge about that child, and she came running up the front. They laid hands on her, and the power of God hit her. And at home, the power of God hits her child, and the sister calls her and says, the child just grabbed for the bottle, and it's now drinking like crazy. The power of God. Yeah, come on. And you've got, you got, uh, got a woman just weeping, weeping her way through the goodness and the kindness of God. So how? That's great. How? Here's what we do. How do I keep his commands? I, I list them. I, I, I've got to sit down and ask myself, what are the miracles? And, and the most embarrassing thing for me is that I, I, I forget. And when, whenever we sit down as a family, we begin to think, what has God done for us this year? We kind of stare at each other like a calf at a new gate and then go, oh, there was that thing. <laughs> we all go, that's a fairly big thing to have forgotten. And as we sit down and we begin to remember, the Holy Spirit reminds us and we see the answers to prayers and the supernatural healings and the blessings that came on us and, and we let each of the family members begin to share and then we, we, we draw up this list and you go, look at what God has done. And I, I would just like to say, I, I, I don't know, but I, I haven't done this well, but I, what I'd like to do is set up some family storytelling times. And it doesn't have to be long, but let's just tell everybody to come with one story, your favorite story about how God showed up in your life. And I guarantee you, you've got them. You've got a story about how God showed up in your life when it was really tough and then brutal and then God showed up and the the supernatural thing he did. It's time to tell the stories. Because I want my kids and my grandkids to sit around and go, that's what God does in our family. You'll be surprised at how often God has moved in your life and how easy it is to forget what he's done. Be diligent to keep a list. Number two, learn from them. List them, learn from them. The 12 stones that they set up at Gilgal, you could say, well, this is because this is where they came through, but it could speak to you about how God cares about his people or how he keeps his promises or how he's powerful enough to deliver or how nature and circumstances are bent to his will or how he goes before his people to give them victory or how he means for them to conquer the promised land or how it's good to listen when he speaks. See, those stones can speak a great deal of revelation to anybody who spends the time to just stand there and go, Lord, what do you want to teach me? What do these testimonies teach you about the nature of God? What do they show you about who he is? Come with me quickly to Matthew 16. 
It says, when they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. Be careful, Jesus said to them, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they discussed this among themselves and said, it's because we didn't bring any bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, you of little faith, what are you talking about amongst yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000? And then, so they go, yeah, no, no. And he said, how many basketfuls do you pick up? And they said, yeah, I don't know, we picked up 12. And he goes, when we fed the 4,000, how many basketfuls did you pick up? Yeah, we picked up four. Or seven, I think it was. And he goes, and you still think that I'm speaking to you about we don't have any bread. Okay, okay, let's go back. There were about 20,000 people. We had a little lunch. I said, thank you, Dad. And we fed them. And you picked up, each of you picked up more than we started with. Remember that? Yeah. And then we fed the 15,000. And then each of you picked up a whole bunch. There was much more than what we started with. Remember that? Yeah. And so I say, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. And you go, he's worried about bread. It's no longer possible, it's no longer right, it's no longer legal for you to be thinking that I'm a God who worries about food when you've been in the middle of these miracles. Does that make sense? The point of the miracle is not just the miracle, but it's so that you can change the way you think about the God that you serve so that next time you get into a place where there's a need, you go, this is going to be fun. Not, oh, what are we going to do? So if I'm going to learn from the miracles, the question I need to ask is, what is the Lord trying to teach me about himself? Who does he want me to know he is? And then lord them. What that really means is tell them. Speak about them. Tell them to anybody who listen. Be a good storyteller. Tell the stories about what Jesus did, about what it showed you about who he was. Psalm 78. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. God established for himself a testimony in Israel. He demonstrated 10 plagues. He separated a sea. He destroyed an army. He rained down food. He poured out water. He brought them through. He showed up in a visible sign. He let them hear his audible voice. There was a hurricane of fire. They traveled all around. God established for himself a testimony in Jacob. It was no longer legal or possible for anybody in the generation to not believe in God because he established for himself a testimony among them. And yet inconceivably, when he said, let's go into the promised land, they had no faith to go into the promised land. So he said, seriously? I've shown you all of this and you seriously don't trust me to take you in to the thing I swore I was going to do. And they go, yeah, no, you're going to kill us here. He goes, okay, none of you are going in. Maybe your kids will believe. Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord, but the things that he has revealed, they belong to us and to our children. 
The secret things belong to the Lord, and there's a bunch of them. The things that He's revealed, they belong to you, and they belong to your children. Let me close. I don't know how you can make a plan, but I would suggest that you do make a plan because it's not a one-time download. It's a consistent talking to your family about God's history with you. It's a consistent, let me tell you what God has shown me about himself. Let me show you who he is. Let me just tell you. Uh, I, I, the Lord reminded me of this time, and i got to tell you this story because this shows how beautiful he is. And if we will start to do this in our families and our kids will start to do it and tell us the stories of how God showed up in their lives. And I think our children become arrows in the hand of warriors and they become the heritage that God intended them to be. Not just to grow up and live the American dream, but to grow up and to take their place in the eternal plan of God. To step into harness and say, God, I want my life to count and I want to do something profound for you.